I ultimately left because I wanted to pursue scripted. And I'm like, well, I think this is the time to go back into uncharted waters and take a risk. If you are a creative in the entertainment industry looking for inspiration and practical ideas about how to take the next steps in your career, you are in the right place. My name is Rebecca Doyle and I work in film and television in Los Angeles. I learned so much from the ups and downs of the talented, innovative people surrounding me and I want to share those insights with you. Join in every other week to hear the break-in stories of people who overcame challenges and found unconventional avenues to pursue their dream careers in an industry that has no set path. Today's guest is speaking about something that I've heard a lot of people struggle to overcome in recent years, and that is making the jump from unscripted to scripted, also known as narrative media. This person actually started in scripted and then went to unscripted in kind of an unglamorous position to gain union days to be able to join his union and then went back into scripted. And he did have those job opportunities come about pretty organically from the groundwork he had laid. But when he made that initial jump, it was a big risk and he decided to take it. And all these years later, it has paid off. He's also talking about how he turned an unpaid internship in college at Cal State Long Beach into years worth of fruitful working relationships. Matthew Jensen is a film and TV editor based in Los Angeles. He was one of the editors on the Peacock series Pitch Perfect, Bumper in Berlin, starring Adam Devine and Sarah Hyland. His most recent feature editing credits are Popular Theory, a family comedy starring Cheryl Hines, and Rescuing Christmas, a holiday rom-com starring Rachel Lee Cook, both due out in 2023. He was an additional editor on the storm-chasing thriller Supercell and the upcoming drama Arcadian starring Nicolas Cage. Matthew worked on two films that were released in the same week earlier this year. The first film, Black, White, and the Grays, is a 10-time festival award winner that Matthew edited and is now streaming on Amazon Prime, YouTube, and Google Play. Matthew was also first assistant editor on Sound of Freedom, which is playing in theaters nationwide and making a splash at the box office. Matthew worked as an assistant editor on a number of films and TV shows, including Chicago Fire, Falling for Christmas, Suits, and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. He worked at Sony's feature marketing department, where he edited behind-the-scenes featurettes for several big-budget films, including Don't Breathe 2, Searching, Pixels, and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. He attended California State University Long Beach with a BA in film and video production. Matthew is a really great example of someone who figures out those next right steps in service of his long-term vision. And there's so much great stuff I cannot wait to share with you. So let's jump into the interview. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so honored this could be your first podcast guest appearance. Thank you so much for having me. It is a thrill to be here. So there are so many projects going on right now that are really exciting for you. You just had two projects come out at the beginning of this month. We're recording this in mid-July. So Matt just had two projects come out the week of July 4th that have been getting a lot of buzz. Do you want to start with Sound of Freedom? Yeah, Sound of Freedom is a film that I worked on. It was the end of 2018 and I was asked by an editor friend of mine to work on this indie feature called Sound of Freedom. And uh, it was a really exciting project to be a part of because on day one, when I got to come in and bring in the dailies, I was like, wow, this movie looks really good. And there's some great performances in it. Uh, So I was on that for a few months. And then I went off and did some other things. And five years later, the movie finally came out. And I'm just blown away that it's doing very well at the box office. And a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of friends and family around the country are saying, hey, I saw your name in the credits, you know? So I'm like, oh, cool. I'm glad it 
actually got an audience. I honestly wasn't sure if it was just going to be quietly released on Amazon Prime or something. I think part of the delay was that it was completed around that Fox Disney acquisition time. Mm. It was shelved for a bit and then it got bought by a different studio and re-released and then the pandemic happened, you know, so I'm glad it finally uh, got out into the world and people are enjoying it. Have you kept in touch with the people that you worked with on that project? You yeah, still work with yeah. them? Yeah, the editor, uh, a friend of mine, Brian Schofield, we had worked together uh, before that on a movie called Six Balloons uh, for Netflix and he we just kept in touch and we've kept in touch since Sound of Freedom. He's been nice enough to refer me to other jobs here and there. He referred me to uh, some films that I eventually got to edit. So yeah, he's a good guy to know and I appreciate him helping me out. And he was the main person I, I worked with on the show on Sound of Freedom, though. I knew the director, one of the producers, but it was a very small group of us in the building we were working in. So I really only knew like two people. <laughs> a good two people to know. Yeah. And the second film that came out that week was Black, White, and the Greys. Can you tell me about that project? Yeah, yeah. That's another indie feature that I actually edited um, a couple years ago now. I want to say that was the end of 2020, 2021, something like that. Some good friends of mine who are also very talented filmmakers, Casey Nelson, Jessica Matthews. I had worked with them maybe 10, 12 years ago, just after college. I cut like one of their earliest short films. And we've done a lot of projects together. We did a feature called The Last Treasure Hunt, like in 2015. And he's always just, you know, kept in touch with me. We're friends. And then they had this script, Black, White, and the Grays, that they wrote during the lockdown, or either during the lockdown or just before, right around there. No, it had to have been during, because the script is about the 2020 pandemic. And it's about this interracial couple going through a divorce during lockdown. And the Black Lives Matter movement is going on in the background. So there's a lot of like, it's just a, a, a kind of a time capsule of a film showing all the really intense political climate of that year. And how a lot of the issues are being reflected within like this couple's conversations and arguments. Mm. So it's kind of on par with something like A Marriage Story meets Crash. <laughs> you know, it's a quieter film, a lot of scenes of just people talking and fighting, you know. But it, it's really a movie that showcases the acting and the writing, most of all. But the editing was a really satisfying experience because I just love working on scenes with just two people engaging with each other and trying to find those subtle emotional beats between them and connecting them with with each other making those arguments feel real and also there's a lot of happy scenes in the movie so it was it was a great show to work on and it just got released on uh, amazon prime i believe and uh, youtube where you can go and rent it if you want to check it out awesome so you can check out black white and the grays on those digital platforms sound of freedom as we record is currently in theaters will probably land on streaming after that but there are also a couple of projects coming out in the fall. So if you're listening to this episode in August, don't worry. There's more Matthew content just around the corner. <laughs> so Popular Theory coming yeah. out this fall. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, that's a feature I cut just last fall, the fall of 2022. And that was such a fun show to work on. Uh, I hadn't worked with the director before, Ali Schur, but I was referred to her by Brian Schofield, who I worked with on Sound of Freedom. And the original plan was she wanted him to cut it. He wasn't available, so he referred me. 
and we met over Zoom, got along really well, and uh, we cut the film. They shot it in Atlanta. I, uh, I sent her the first cut. She looked at me and, and gave me a hug and said, well, we got a movie. And within 10 days, we had the director's cut, and another 10 days, we locked picture, and it was done. Wow. <laughs> it was pretty quick, but it's, it's such a visually interesting film. It's kind of like Matilda meets Moonrise Kingdom with, with like that touch of Wes Anderson visual flair, because she loves Wes Anderson. And there's a lot of, uh, you'll see uh, whenever the trailer drops, there's a lot of just great cinematography, cool compo- uh, uh, compositions, a lot of fun performances from the cast. It's, the, it's just a sweet little fun family film. And that's supposedly coming out like around uh, fall 2023, I'm hoping. So we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you're just really hitting all your bases with the genres. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It, I like all genres. So it's, it's been really uh, uh, great to you know dip your toe in a lot of different genres. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then to add one more genre, truly a classic <laughs> to the upcoming projects is a Christmas film, <laughs> Rescuing Christmas. Yeah, that's one. I'm just I'm on my last week on that right now. That is a uh, Christmas rom-com starring Rachel Lee Cook of She's All That Fame. Brian Kennedy, he is the uh, head of post at Mar Vista Entertainment. Mm. And I worked with him maybe 10, 12 years ago as a post PA on Fairly Legal for USA. And I hadn't talked to him for the longest time, but we kind of reconnected. And he said, hey, Matt, you're cutting now, right? I'm like, I am. He's like, well, are you free to work on this movie called Rescuing Christmas? Rachel Lee Cook is starring and producing. I'm like, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> he he called me. I was on the way out for a trip to Hawaii. So it was like a fun week knowing that I had a job waiting for me when I came back. And then I got to work on that. We uh, are just at the end of producer's notes right now. We're supposed to be locking in six days. And so far, everyone's really happy with it. Yeah, it it's definitely has a Hallmark Channel vibe to it, but they don't have a home for it yet. It might get bought by Netflix, Amazon. I'm not sure. But uh, it, so it's a spec feature and hopefully it finds a good home this fall. We'll see. Yeah, that'll be great looking out for it. Mm -hmm. Just in time for the holidays, too. Yeah. So you did some work as an additional editor Mm -hmm. on the upcoming Nicolas Cage film, Arcadian. Yes. Yeah. I worked on that with a very good friend of mine, Christy Schimmick, who's a very talented editor herself. And uh, we actually worked on six projects within three years. (laughs) We get along very well. We've been friends already before working together through mutual friends and whatnot. But um, she was the editor on Arcadian. And brought me on. It's funny how it started. She called me just as a friend said, hey, Matt, I, I'm wondering if I should uh, work on this Arcadian movie. What do you think about it? I'm like, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. I think you should do it. And if you don't mind, let me help you cut a couple scenes. Not that you need the help, but I can get the additional editor credit. What do you think? She's like, okay. <laughs> so that was actually your... You initiated. Yeah, yeah. And and it's because she and I got along so well, I wasn't afraid to ask. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? She's like, yeah, that sounds great. So I got to help cut a, a few scenes here here and there and uh, got the additional editing credit, but also was assisting her and just helping out with whatever she needed. And it was just so exciting to work on a Nicolas Cage movie because he's amazing. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. I, I mean, I think that's good for anyone listening who's interested in following a similar path to yours. You know, you had built this relationship. You had a lot of trust. You worked on, you said, six projects. In yeah, years. yeah. And... And yeah, I had been... um working with her on some other projects, cutting some scenes or recaps or whatever here and there. But I felt comfortable enough with her to be like, hey, would I be, would it be okay if I 
maybe cut some scenes here and I could possibly get an additional editing credit. You know, I, I talked to a lot of editors over the past about trying to make that bump from assistant editor to editor. And a lot of them have been suggesting something similar, like, well, try to cut a scene here and there. Maybe you can get that additional editing credit. Maybe one day a co-editing credit. That's actually what happened on the Pitch Perfect series that we also worked on together, Christy and I, because the plan was that she was going to be hired on that. And she was, she was hired on it as an editor, but because of the way the schedule was, it was a very ambitious schedule. The post-producers wanted a third editor, but just for a little bit. So what happened was they brought me on to be a co-editor for one episode with Christy. And we were both excited about that. I'm like, yay, team Matt and Christy, this is going to be great. And then it was going so well that one of the other episodes also needed a little help. So they had me cut that one too. So I got like semi-promoted within the season to work on not one, but two episodes. And uh, that was a big deal because that officially got me the union bump from assistant editor to editor w uh, in terms of union classification. Mm. So that was an exciting time. And uh, that got released on, on Peacock and was a lot of fun to work on. So to clarify, this is the Pitch Perfect series that you worked on in the summer of last yes, year. Yes, yeah. Pitch Perfect, Bumper in Berlin. You can watch it now on Peacock. <laughs> yeah. And Berlin, what a, what a great place. I know, yeah. They actually shot it there. Adam Devine, Flula Borg, Sarah Hyland. Such a funny cast. A lot of improv, which is my one of my favorite things to edit is comedy because there's so much improv and all these little ad libs and one of my favorite things is just trying to fit everything in there and like sometimes we even fit in bloopers and the producers would see it and be like I'm so glad you kept that because it's hilarious <laughs> I just love playing around with that and I think uh that helped uh, with me being able to cut not one but two episodes oh because you're you had good editor sensibilities and comedic timing I mean, I'd like to think so <laughs> yeah definitely okay so I think that's also good for people to absorb how often are those co-editing credits offered by the employer offered by the post department and how often are you coming in and, and building a relationship laying the groundwork and then saying hey do you think I might be able to get an additional editor credit a co-editor credit that's a great question I think a lot of it depends on the editor you're working with some editors are very open to hey you want to cut a scene on day one Maybe because they've been doing it so long or need a little break. Other editors are more protective with their cut and really feel precious with it. So they're like, well, I I'm okay. I'm okay. But we'll see. So it really depends who you're working with. But if, if you find yourself working with an editor who's open to collaborating with you or, or allowing you to do some cutting and they are almost mentors of sorts. It's good to meet an editor who wants to mentor somebody mm. and wants to have their assistant editors grow and rise up. And when you find that nice pairing, it usually... I mean, at least with my experience, it happens organically uh, in the jobs I've had where I wasn't really asked, hey, Matt, do you want to cut a scene? I will go to them and politely ask, hey, do you mind if I cut a scene? And I think most editors really like that. At least the ones I've worked with have been totally cool with it. Like, yeah, sure. Why don't you do this? You know, I was working on a, a show with Christy called Next. It was on Fox with John Slattery. And uh, I got to cut a recap. You know, it's a recap. It's not really part of the episode, but it was still... A lot of fun to cut and the showrunner was watching like hey that's pretty good cut another one i'm like cool <laughs> you know so you never know what, what little things you cut can maybe lead to another scene and whatnot so hopefully the employers and, and collaborators you're working with will give you those opportunities but if they're not bringing it up outright i don't think it's a bad idea to just you know politely ask at the right time when uh you've built that comfort level with them so when you say the right time you mean the right time in the timeline of working for them i think so yeah i mean if you 
I probably I personally wouldn't bring it up on day one. Hey, can I cut some scenes? You know, maybe maybe I would. You know, I, I don't really have a, a plan of attack. I, I kind of just want to feel it out and see like, hey, how does this person work? A lot of times I've been lucky that where the editors will just say outright in the first meeting, like, hey, and if you want to cut some scenes, you can you can do it. A lot of editors will say that. Hey, will you come and work with me and we'll give you opportunities to cut? And that's always really nice to know upfront that they're going to give you those uh, uh, moments to show what you can do. And sometimes a lot of times on series, there almost always is a time to cut a blooper reel. And usually that, at least with the shows I've been on, falls to the assistant editors. And, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal. It's a blooper reel. Who cares? But if you cut a really good one, a really funny one, people will remember that. I worked on a show where the assistant editor cut a blooper reel. And I remember that guy every day for an editing job. Because I'm like, he was good at cutting that blooper reel. It was really funny. So, you know, cut any chance you can, whatever you can. Yeah, I mean, I mean especially with comedy, right? Because so yeah. much of it is in the edit. Yo, oh my gosh. I'm glad you said that because I feel like comedy gets overlooked at the Oscars <laughs> in terms of editing mm. because so much humor, at least in, in, in the my favorite comedy shows, is just in a really well-timed cut. It's so true. Yeah. 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 I feel like scenes that aren't even meant to be funny if edited correctly. Yeah, can... yeah. I mean, one of my favorite shows right now is Barry. It's incredible. But the editing, the way they shoot it, it's just so like, wow. It's, it's something, it's the kind of cutting you don't see often. And yeah. Comedy get, should get a little more love for its editing. Barry is different in that it's like comedy drama, you know, but yeah, I mean, to name a funny example, this is so silly, but my wife and I were rewatching a movie the other day, Hot Rod, with Andy Samberg that came out like 20 years ago. And, you know, it's not an Oscar movie, but the edits are so hilarious and how they you know make it make it all just they just you can tell the editors just having fun with it and yeah. I, like that. I like that kind of editing where you just you know try things see what sk- sticks and 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 have have a good time doing it yeah definitely mm-hmm. and so on the subject of mentoring and having an ae you know cut scenes is there someone that you have mentored yet or has anyone asked you to cut a scene how was the conversation being on the other side Oh, man. One name that sticks out is Oscar Lazoya. He was an editor on Chicago Fire, who I've known for a very long time. In fact, when I was first an intern at Wolf Films in 2009, he was one of the first people I met on the lot, on the Universal lot. He was a post-PA then, and now he's a director of Law & Order SVU. He's worked his way up from post-PA to editor to director. And in fact, my first scripted assistant editor union job was Chicago Fire assisting Oscar. And he was just... A dream to work with. He was so nice, but he was also just so informative and he would help me. He would coach me. He would mentor me and give me all these great pointers. And he would like pull me aside if maybe I did something not as good as I should. He's like, hey, Matt, why don't you try it like this? You know, oh, maybe when you're doing like this, blah, 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 you know, and and we're still friends to this day. Yeah, he, he stands out as a really good mentor I've had and an editor I look up to. I've mentioned Christy already, but Christy Schimmick, we're such good friends, but she's a big inspiration to me and just what she's done. She's cut so many great features and TV shows now. I, I worked with an editor, Robert Hoffman, I should shout out. I uh, assisted him on a movie called Broken Diamonds a while back, and uh, he's edited a lot longer than me, obviously, but like he worked on Bad Santa, and he was just so, like, I, I feel really fortunate that so many editors I've worked with have been so encouraging and uh, open to letting me, you know, uh, cut some scenes here and there. So, so far, uh, knock on wood, I haven't really worked with an editor who's like, no, 
you cannot cut anything. I've heard stories of uh, people working in some post houses or, or on shows where it was forbidden for an assistant editor to cut anything. I'm like, oh, that's too bad. Because how are you going to grow? You know. Mm. <laughs> well, have you been on the other side yet where you're able to give an assistant editor that's working for you the opportunity? It's, it's funny because I, I feel relatively fresh to the editing chair in that just last year I got that bump. So I haven't had a ton of chances. I've had maybe two assistant editors so far. So... Recently, you kind of moved more into the editor chair. You're going to have more assistant editors working for you. Mm-hmm. And so soon it's going to become time for you to greenlight some of those opportunities yeah, that yeah. assistant editors might initiate or maybe you'll proactively give them. What are the things that you are going to look for in assistant editors in the future to give you the confidence to say, yeah, you know, you can do the additional editing? I already have a few people in the back of my mind, um, potential f- uh, assistant editor candidates and that have already over the past few months, years have been like just reaching out to me with advice and whatnot and saying, Matt, how can I do this? And, and that to me is really impressive. People who take the initiative to reach out to you and show that they really uh, want to be good at editing and are uh, putting themselves out there. That really stands out to me. People that are, are willing to go to Editors Guild mixers and, and, and want to get out there and meet you and everything. And because it's such a, you know, you've heard it a million times, but it's all about who you know, right? And so when I see people that are really just being proactive with asking you questions and wanting to shadow you and wanting to, you know, get their foot in the door. That stands out to me because whether or not they know everything yet, they are willing to learn and uh, dedicated. And you can see the passion and that hunger and that drive. And that stands out a lot to me. You can teach anyone how to do turnovers and outputs and, you know, assemblies and all that stuff eventually, you know, but it's that, that hunger and that passion that is not as easy to teach. Mm, mm. Okay, so if you see that in someone, you're more likely to say, you know what, I want to help you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that desire to to want to to work with me or or at least just talk to me or or observe any editor is really enticing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because they share your passion, you know? Yeah, I love that. It's it's always great sitting down with someone who also loves movies and TV and you can just talk about your favorite shows and say, like, what do you want to do one day? You know, that's the kind of person because you're not just interviewing for someone to do the job. You're interviewing for someone to spend the whole day with you and hang out, you know? So you want it to be someone you get along with, but someone who really wants to do a good job and wants to impress not just you, but the producers, the director and everyone. And that's someone you want to have on your team. Okay. So those are things for that person to land the assistant editor role. When someone's already in an assistant editor role for you, but this also applies to anyone listening who's in an AE spot, what kinds of things can they do to win their editor's trust in bumping up to those additional scenes? Oh, yeah, (laughs) that's a great question. I think attention to detail is a big thing because it all starts with the small tasks and doing baby steps, working way up and like, okay, if they can do the script notes properly, then bump them up to, I mean, obviously they'll be doing a lot on day one, bringing in dailies, seeing how they do with the markers, how they do with, you know, all the, the technical, you know, preparation and seeing like, okay, good. They've grasped this really well. They don't need me holding their hand. Let's see how they do it with maybe some temp sound design, maybe some temp VFX. And obviously I don't expect anyone to, to know that right away, but as long as they're willing to learn and are picking it up and you can see the effort that they're wanting to understand it, you know, taking notes is always a good sign. Yeah. As long as you see that improvement and that willingness to learn more, that's because that, then you, know, you just escalate from there and you give them more bigger tasks to do. It wouldn't be long before I'm like, hey, cut a scene and then maybe cut five scenes. <laughs> maybe on the next show you can co-edit with me, you know? It's and just then like, all of a sudden it's Pitch Perfect, yeah, Berlin, part know? two. So, and yeah, and then that's how you land on opportunities like Pitch Perfect. So 
all these great projects recently coming out or coming out very soon. Let's talk about the path that got you here. And before we go too early, we can start with your time at college because you mentioned to me earlier that a lot of the opportunities you have today, you can directly trace back to one internship in college and the connections that you formed there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went to Cal State Long Beach and within like the third or fourth year, I saw a flyer in the hallway for CSU Media Internship Program. And I saw all these like, you know, famous Hollywood studio logos on the poster. I'm like, ooh, that's neat. That's going to make me famous. So I called the number or emailed or whatever. And long story short, I eventually got reached out by uh, one of the post coordinators over at Wolf Films, where they worked on Law and Order at the NBC Universal backlot. And they asked if I wanted to come in for an interview to be an editorial intern. I'm like, yes, I do. So I went up there, interviewed. I think we got along well because I got the internship. (laughs) And that introduced me to a lot of people that would eventually lead to many other jobs down the road. I mentioned Oscar Lozoya. At the time, he was a post PA and one day would work with him on Chicago Fire. And uh, another one of the producers over on one of the Law & Order shows was John Smith. He would eventually become director of post-production for the studio. And he gave me my first actual full-time job after college in being a uh, post PA for NBC Universal, where I got to meet and interface with all the shows under the studio umbrella. And that got me on Fairly Legal, which got me Rescuing Christmas, which got me, you know what I mean? So I met a lot of great people through that internship. And I would always tell people after that, be an intern. Internships are great. Unfortunately, a few years after I was an intern, I had heard that internships were temporarily on hold because I I don't know the exact details, but I heard a story of an intern on a film that was like suing for being overworked and underpaid. And so all the studios just said, until we figure this out, let's not do internships. And I was really sad to hear that because how else are you going to get that experience? How else are you going to meet people? So I'm hoping it's been reinstated and that they allow interns on the lot because I think it was just a great learning experience for me and connections. Yeah. So was that internship paid at Wolf Films? No, no, it was school credit. Okay, yeah, so that probably would have been, I think that was during the Black Swan era. Yes, when, yeah. Black Swan, that's the one I couldn't remember. I'm going to really overgeneralize here because I'm not particularly familiar with the case, but it sounds like the internship that you had was what they're designed to do, which yeah. is you you learned a lot, you found great connections. Yeah. This is kind of exactly what an internship is designed to do if it's for school credit. And mm-hmm. again, I don't know the details of, of the cases before, but I think the issue was people were using interns as free, labor and not necessarily giving the opportunities like the ones that you had but the internship you had very much laid the foundation you mentioned some people that you have worked with what are some other relationships that you cultivated there and also what did you do during your internship to make sure you were laying a solid foundation and um, building that trust for down the road it's funny because as I started the internship, I was mainly there to, to be a fly on the wall and watch. I get to sit in on the edit bays and just observe. And, you know, I didn't want to overstep or, or you know, jeopardize my being there. So I was being kind of calm and just, you know, quiet, keep my head down and just watch. And there was one day where, again, I bring up Oscar. This is one of the great bits of advice he gave me that I'll never forget. He pulled me aside one day like, Matt, I think you should be a little more proactive in terms of like wanting to uh, learn and and like really like ask editors about their craft and and go and sit in with them because it's a really rare opportunity to be here on the lot watching all these people work and I think you should be doing a little more. He said in a very nice polite way but I was like wow you're right. I need to be a little more you know put my foot out there and be like hey guys may I talk to you? May I pick your brain? And I, I 
feel like I carry that with me for the rest of my life and try to teach that to other people, you know, really seize the opportunity when you're on the lot or with anyone who in the industry and really just try to, to learn as much as you, as you can. Definitely. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling. Mm-hmm. A little timid. It's a balance, right? Because you want to be respectful and stay in your lane. Yeah, but there's yeah. also a lot of opportunity and people it, want to help. In fact, I think that's one of my biggest rooms for improvement is that I feel sometimes I get too excited being in the room and want to be like included now. I'm like, hey, what if we did this? And they're like, Matt, Matt, calm down. <laughs> we'll get to you soon. You know, I'm like, oh, I just get excited being in the room. I want to chime in and, and give a note or or give suggestions or what. I don't know. I like being included. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems to have been working out well for you so far. So, okay. So you had the internship at Wolf Films. Mm-hmm. What was the next step after that? Yeah. After that, uh, nothing big came for a few months. And I was still working at a movie theater to pay for rent. But then I got a call from John Smith, who had then been promoted to uh, director of post-production and he uh, eventually gave me the job being a post PA and that was the big one. So it's kind of a, a one, t- it kind of a two-sided coin opportunity in that I had the internship that introduced me to people, but that almost immediately led to that job as a post PA for the studio, which introduced me to all sorts of people. I met some uh, nice folks who worked on In Plain Sight and Warehouse 13 and Fairly Legal. In fact, that was the show, like the first show I was working on, uh, which was Fairly Legal as a post PA. And that's where I met Ryan Kennedy, who eventually went on to work at Mar Vista. That got me the Rescuing Christmas. And uh, I started putting more feelers out. So I... I didn't only get jobs through that NBC Universal network that I met because at the same time I was reaching out for uh, other job opportunities because I wanted to get into the union, which was one of the first biggest hurdles I had faced because when I was working with John Smith as a post PA, that was kind of the, the year where I realized, okay, I think editing is the path I'm going to follow because up until then, directing was kind of the goal. I think a lot of people come out to Hollywood wanting to be the next Spielberg, myself included. And then when I was working with John, I asked him, how does one become an editor? What do you do next? He's like, well, the first thing you should do is join the union because most movies and TV shows are union shows. You'll need to be in the guild. So I'm like, how do I do that? So I knew I needed to work as an assistant editor on a non-union job for a certain number of days. But how do I get that? Fast forward, I got my first non-union assistant editor job through Facebook. (laughs) There was a a group called I Need an Assistant Editor. And that was just one of many job search groups that they have on Facebook. But that was the one in particular that I would check every day. And that eventually led me to 495 Productions, where they did a lot of reality shows like Snooki and JWoww, Friendzone, shows like that. And then I just took a night job as a digitizer, just, you know, putting tapes in a deck all night. It wasn't the most glamorous job, but it got me my days. That eventually got me eligible to join the the guild. And then at the same time, I got contacted by a film professor back at CSU Long Beach, reaching out to a bunch of students and said, hey, a friend of mine is an editor at Sony in their future marketing department, and they need someone who knows Final Cut 7. And at that time, that was the software I was using the most. I had done Avid a little bit in school, but was more familiar with Final Cut 7. So that became my first union job ever as an assistant editor at Sony in their worldwide creative content department. And so that on top of, you know, NBC Universal contacts, keeping in touch with them, I just wanted to try to expand my web of, you know, networking as wide as I could, throwing darts in every direction and seeing what stuck. And so, yeah. Well, 
First of all, I love this story, Matthew. I really feel like you took advantage of some great opportunities and were very strategic with the resources that you had. And you say that, you you know, you're throwing darts and seeing what stuck. But having the foresight to think, okay, I need to join the union. Here's how I'm going to get my days. That does seem more strategic than what I think a lot of people fall into, Mm -hmm. myself included at times in the past, which Mm -hmm. is I just need a job in film and let's just go with with what the first opportunity is going to be. But you you had this long term view of, well, I need this amount of days. What job is going to get me that amount of days? And it was working towards a larger goal. Did you find that making the work more interesting or maybe even, you know, bearable as I, well, it's it's kind of fun because it kind of gives you like this this um, light at the end of the tunnel, you mm-hmm. know. So anytime you work a job that may or may not be so glamorous, I'm like, well, this is all for the greater good, right? And I credit John for telling me to do that because I wouldn't have thought about, oh, there's a guild, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you gotta do this. I'm like, oh. I didn't know you had to do that. I thought it was like a prestigious thing, like ACE or something. But no, I credit John for, you know, giving me the advice to join the union. I wouldn't have known to do that otherwise. So at that point, I'm like, okay, how do I get my days? And I would ask a lot of people who I met, hey, how did you get your union days? It's a very mm. common question. They're like, well, I did reality. A lot of editors I met said reality, reality, because so many reality shows are non-union. And uh, that's ultimately what, what led me there. So how did you leverage that into moving into scripted? Because if you're building a contact base and a whole resume in reality, it seems that it might be tough to make that transition. Absolutely. Yeah, that was one of the things I was most anxious about and not getting pigeonholed in a department I didn't want to be in. I'm like, well, I don't want to work reality. I don't want to edit reality, nothing against reality. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. So I told myself, I'm only here to get my days, you know? And by the time I got my days, the Sony job came along. Now, granted the Sony job, as exciting as that was, and as nice as the people were, that was also a place I didn't want to be forever because it was cutting promos, behind the scenes featurettes. It was all really cool working on these big movies. The first day I was there, I was seeing footage for Spider-Man. I'm like, oh, this is fun. but. I didn't want to edit, you know, trailer type things forever. I wanted to edit movies and TV shows, scripted material. So I was Sony maybe a, a couple of years. And a lot of those editors had been there a decade or longer because it's a very easy job to stay cushy in. It's a year-round, full-time union position, especially some of the others with families just, you know, feel more comfortable staying there. I understand it. Job stability is great and rare in our industry. <laughs> but I ultimately left because I just wanted to pursue scripted. And and the job that eventually led me out of Sony wasn't some big, you know, Chicago Fire level show. I got asked to cut a web series for very little pay, but it was scripted, even though not a lot of people were going to see it. I'm like, well, I think this is the time to spread my wings a little bit, or at least, you know, go back into uncharted waters and take a risk. And so I worked on that for a few weeks. It was a web series called The Hollywood Box. And, uh, you know, those are some good connections right there. Good people. And who asked you to come on board that project? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it was a web series called Hollywood Box. And I got asked by a man named Brad Benedict, who is an actor and filmmaker himself. And I had been introduced to him through Casey Nelson, who I had worked with short films uh, before. And I would eventually work on Black Wine the Greys with. So that was just another example of somebody I had known. And did you meet her at Kelsey Long Beach or... Oh, Casey Nelson, I met through um, a mutual friend who introduced me. It would have been Heather Christensen, which was a post-supervisor friend that I met through another friend. It was really one of those, I knew a guy who knew a guy type of things, who just like sent my name along, said, hey, we're looking for an editor for this short film. Would you cut it? I did cut it. And then that person referred me to another filmmaker friend who was working on this web series, The Hollywood Box. And that was the job I that I, I used to exit uh, Sony. And then once it was done, I didn't really have much going on. So I'm like... Was that a bad decision? 
I don't really know what I'm going to do next. And then during that that summer that I had, after I had left Sony, it's kind of funny uh, uh, and serendipitous. I ran into Oscar LaZoya from Wolf Films at like a movie screening. I think it was... Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. It was like a free movie screening. And he was there. I'm like, hey, how's it going? And we just said hello. And that was it. But then the next day, I don't know if it's because I saw him at the screening or whatever. Maybe I was fresh in his memory. But he reached out to me the next day and said, hey, Matt, we need an assistant editor at Chicago Fire. Do you want to come in for an interview? I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) Because that's like what I've been wanting since I, you know, got into the union at Sony to get back into scripted. So I think my time as an intern giving me that opportunity and it didn't pay off immediately. It kind of was a little seed that got planted and it says you never know what connection can lead to a job one day. It totally. probably won't be immediately. Sometimes it can be 10, 15 years later. Yeah, definitely. So. And as far as joining the union, our last episode with Amelia Rinska, who is in the Makeup and Hairstylists Guild, Local 706, she spoke a lot about how unions are not job agencies. People think, oh, you know, you go union and then the jobs just come to you. And nope. so it's very <laughs> important to be strategic about when yeah. to join the union. So, yeah. OK, so for you, you got your eligible days in reality and mm-hmm. then you were able to go union once you had that full time position for cutting promos. Yeah, well, yeah, I wasn't cutting the promos. I was assisting the people cutting the promos at Sony. But yeah, right. that was my first union position. And then Chicago Fire was the first scripted union position. And that's where I learned the bulk of what I use today, which is doing turnovers and temp sound and all that sort of thing that applies to both TV and features. Okay, so it made sense at the time for you to join the union because... That was more of a full-time job. And then you took this huge risk, left <laughs> to work on the web series, and then it paid off. I mean, I mean, if I'm being honest, uh, if I had stayed at Sony and the Chicago Fire opportunity came along, I would have, you know, told Sony, hey, I got this job in Chicago Fire so long, or at least for now. I mean, the web series was enough for me to do that. So, of course, Chicago Fire was and would have been enough for me to do that. It just so happened that I left to, to because... I just didn't want to be there forever. But it's funny because I have been with Sony in in like a come and go relationship. I still have a good working relationship with them in mm. that I've worked with them probably four separate times, actually, because they'll reach out to me every now and then and say, hey, Matt, we're a little understaffed right now and we need some help with this movie coming out in a month. Will you come on for like four weeks? I'm like, sure. In fact, the last time I was with Sony was a year or two ago helping uh, cut promos for Don't Breathe 2. And it was just a month long. But because I, you know, keep in touch with them and, you know, it has a, they have a really nice open door kind of uh, a situation in that, you know, hey, call us when you're out of work or you call me when you need help type of thing. And because we get along, it's it's a nice little go to every now and then. Yeah, that's perfect. That's yeah, perfect. Yeah. And then, you know, you get to keep those connections fresh. Yeah. Keep the bridge alive. I always like that because you never know what opportunities can come. And I, I like just being able to stay in touch with as many people as possible. Definitely. Okay, great. So we've talked a little bit about the path from college, the internship, how that led to your jobs, union positions. You continue to tap into your network to land all of the subsequent jobs. But this interest really started for you a lot earlier, you said around age 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I've always been obsessed with movies since I was a kid. That's always been my favorite hobby, going to movies, watching them. And uh Uh, But when I was 15-ish, I was in a bookstore and I stumbled on a biography on Steven Spielberg and just started flipping through it because I'm like, oh, that's the guy that did Jurassic Park. Neat. And 
within a few minutes, I was the film bug hit me pretty hard right there because I was really, really inspired by his story. It's so funny that Fablemans just came out because that is the story that made me want to do what he does because I could relate to so much with his obsession of film and also a lot of his family dynamics. I'm a child of divorce myself, so I could just, you know, I'm like, hey, this this feels like something maybe I could do. So that really lit the fire in me to want to become a film director eventually. And so I was making my own short films in high school, and then I applied to Cal State Long Beach. I had heard about that school because he went there briefly. I also applied to USC, didn't get in. It's for the best. I'd probably still be in debt. That's actually just like Spielberg, too. So you're really following it. Yeah, he applied to both those schools, but he didn't get into USC for grades, I believe it was. And then so he went to Long Beach. So that's what I did. So I'm like, well, I'm doing the right thing so far. You're you're already halfway there. (laughs) And directing is something you'd still be open to down the road. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like directing is something I'd want to do again. But right now, editing, I feel like I'm I'm climbing the ladder of editing right now. And I want to keep the momentum going. But I, I would be absolutely thrilled to want to direct something again one day. And I I hear it's more common than not when editors will be working on, say, a TV show for a while. That's what Oscar's doing. He was editing Chicago Fire and then SVU, and now he's directing some episodes of SVU. I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. In fact, this isn't an editor, but Michael Giacchino, the composer, who's done a lot of big, big movie scores, he did his directorial debut on that Marvel Werewolf by Night. I'm like, well, that's cool. A composer directing? Who's to say an editor can't do that, too? I mean, it happens, and it's encouraging to see composers doing that, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. definitely crossover. And I think, yeah. I think you know, having editor sensibilities in the director's chair is vital. It really helps having editing experience when you go on set to know what you need. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. How was your pandemic? How was my pandemic? <laughs> oh, it was good. How was yours? <laughs> well, well, you know, how, how are you using that time, especially being in post? Was it less limiting being in post versus production? Uh, Well, the initial lockdown, nobody was doing anything. Well, actually, that's not true because I was working on a show uh, called Next. And when the day that the lockdown started, we were we had shot all of our episodes, but we still had a couple months left of just post. So we were able to continue with the editorial, but we took all of our hard drives home. And at that time, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Working from home. This is cool. And I thought it was just going to be a couple of weeks. (laughs) It was not. Uh, But spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after that ended there was still months I mean we all know what happened that year but you know there was months of not much going on and in fact I used most of that time to work on a fun little passion project of mine I was I'm a big movie score lover and I had always wanted to edit a bunch of music together into one long song. So what I did was I took 101 of my favorite film score cues and strung them together in as seamless as possible into this very long medley. And I put it on YouTube. It's called Film Scores 101, an epic cinema medley. And I worked on that for maybe nine months. And it was one of the most rewarding, satisfying, fun things I ever done in my life because it was nothing but just playing with film music. And that just makes me happy. (laughs) So you were staying creatively. Yeah, yeah, just just something to stay creative i would just you know put on my airpods every night and just just play around with music and in fact if for whatever reason i could not be an editor let's say i went blind or something like that i would want to shift into music i would want to try to become a composer i don't really have the musical chops but i did play band in school for six years it was a lot of fun what were you playing i in was band? percussionist 
Yeah, yeah. People say, hear that, they go, oh, you're a drummer. I'm like, oh, I did some drums, but I was mostly mallets, xylophones, and all that stuff. Oh, I have to admit, I definitely fell into that category. I didn't think xylophonist when you said percussionist. Really? First, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, the fun thing about percussion, this is not industry related, just so you know. But the fun thing about percussion is you play like 30, 40 different instruments, so it was a lot of fun. Oh. But because I got bitten by the film bug, that kind of got put in the back burner, but... If I ever decided to do something else, I would want to get back into music, either composing, playing, editing music, something like that. Mm. That's how I spent my pandemic. (laughs) Excellent. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people in film were able to find different creative outlets. And you're definitely the first to make a medley that we can all search (laughs) now and listen to. Enjoy our favorite scores. If you like film music, I think you'll like it. Play it while you go jogging. I think you'll enjoy it. (laughs) How has your living situation impacted your creativity? I mean, the obvious thing is I came out to L.A. because I was told by so many people that's where the work is. So I I grew up in Virginia and I moved out here coast to coast. And that obviously is a big help because there's just so many more opportunities now. Now that we've had, you know, the pandemic and so much work is remote. I know a lot of people are moving elsewhere because like, well, if we can do it from home, why can't I live in Milwaukee, you know? Well, are you saying that you'd want to move somewhere like Milwaukee uh, or Virginia? No, no, no. No, I like living out here in L.A. because I just really enjoy how movie-centric it is, whether I'm working out here or not. There's just movie uh, uh, posters and banners everywhere. There's a lot of, like, free screenings you can go to. The Oscars are out here, and I've always been a very big fan of the Oscars, watching it since I was a kid every year. So, yeah, I it's like... It's accessible. I, I love the environment out here, how... How common it is when people are just saying, hey, we're going to a movie this weekend. You coming? When you go to Virginia, people are seeing movies. I grew up there where I saw movies, but it's just not as I feel like people don't get as excited about movies out there. It's also not, I guess, other, you know, in the industry, you often watch movies so that you can talk about them and you can take things away from every movie, even if you didn't particularly enjoy it. Whereas, you know, I think. If you're just a consumer of movies, not working in them, you're you're just there to enjoy the movie, you know? Yeah, I get asked by relatives a lot, like, well, now that you're in the industry, does that mean, are you still able to watch a movie and enjoy it? I'm like, yes, that's that's <laughs> how I prefer it. I don't like watching it and breaking it down and analyzing it, at least not on the first viewing. I just want to enjoy, like, like that's what I love. I, I, I kind of get bummed out when I see a, a movie with a group of friends and people are, oh, that just wasn't good. Oh my gosh, that was just lame. I'm like, I thought it was, uh, even bad movies are hard to make. Let's show a little appreciation, you know? Right. There's there's a lot of work that goes into that craft. Yeah. And there's things you can appreciate. I think Brian Tang talked about this in our first episode, too. You know, you can appreciate the cinematography of a poorly written movie or the writing of a poorly shot movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also just the accessibility, for sure. I, I mean, I grew up in a small town and... If something was in select theaters, we were not going to be able to see it, you know, yeah. but in L.A., yes, yeah, things open on Thursday here. I know. So I, well, it's cool because like, when movies get like pre-released, you know, only in select theaters, it's like New York and L.A. So I'm like, well, we're good. So we can see yeah. a lot of movies that yeah. maybe other people can't. And, and indie films. That. Totally. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Indie films, big films, all of them. Very fortunate. Yeah. That's honestly something we haven't really spoken about on the show is just the accessibility to films being in LA because a lot of work now you can technically do remotely but there's certain things that you just can't replicate in some of those other cities yeah yeah for sure and also the climate is great so (laughs) that is true not today it's very hot but you know it is really hot today I think I think we're pushing we're supposed to be pushing in the 90s or hundreds yeah hundred-ish yeah okay before we get to the time capsule just a couple words of advice you've given some great insight for someone that wants to get started 
but the landscape has changed even with slight adjustments to internship programs as you had mentioned also streamers are much more at play than in 2009 when you were at wolf films the landscape has changed a lot of things have adapted since then what would your advice be to you know 18 to 22 year old matt currently at cal state long beach how would that person get started i i think whether you can find an internship or not the most important all-encompassing lesson is just really getting to know as many people as you can if you can try to find a a you know, invitations to, to mixers, you know, reach out to people on those Facebook groups, I need an assistant editor, or they have other ones where they just post mixers, you know, invitations and, and try to go and just, you know, don't don't think of it like go there and make a million friends, just go and make one friend or, you know, just meet one person. And then the next one, meet another person, you know, and uh, I'm not saying go out there and schmooze, don't be phony, you know, be genuine, be yourself. But so many times I go to these mixers, everybody's very excited to meet other people because, you know, that's just how this town is, you know, we're all, it's all about networking and, and, and building your connections and also just being upfront with what you want out of your career and telling people when it comes up, oh, I want to be an editor. Oh, I want to be a cinematographer, whatever your aspirations are. And people will remember that and be like, oh, well, maybe uh, I can introduce you to somebody who's looking for one of those things or mm. willing to train one of those, you know? And when you're not meeting people, use your spare time to practice your craft. If it's editing, learn a new software, practice those buttons on Avid. I mean, there's still plenty of buttons on Avid. I don't know. There's buttons on Microsoft Word. I still don't know, you know, practice some things. If you know, you're in cinematography, practice your craft. Mm, solid advice. And this industry is really turbulent, especially working freelance job to job. There's definitely lows and highs that everyone has. Were there moments that you wanted to give up? And if there were, what kept you going? Hmm. I wouldn't say there were any moments where I had I wanted to give up, but there were moments where I struggled in terms of just staying afloat financially because while before you're making a living you're not getting paid a lot and so you know as i was trying to get out there as an intern i also had to pay for rent so i was working at a movie theater on the side i even sold cutco kitchen knives one summer just to pay the bills and i would tell people like this isn't my profession i want to be a filmmaker you know and and just trying to stay afloat so that's that's the tricky thing with like trying to balance art with the real world uh demands of like paying the bills and everything and it it, it takes some time before you can get a job you want and enjoy that also pays the bills so that that was tricky I, I don't think it ever got bad enough for me that I'm like I'm going home you know but it, it was challenging I never really felt like giving up but there were moments where I've second-guessed myself in terms of am I doing the right career choices am I on the right show should I have stayed with so-and-so a, a few years ago or or whatever you know and I often get anxious about that you know second-guessing myself am I doing the right thing and I, I hope I, I but like the title of your show is there's no set path you know you can go in all sorts of ways and and you know circle back to where you're going as long as you're happy and enjoying what you're doing I think that's what's most important. Don't worry so much about comparing yourself to other people like, oh, well, so-and-so edited this feature and they're 10 years younger than me or whatever. You know, that's okay because some people don't make their, quote, big break till their age 50, 60 later. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep trying. Stay happy doing it, though. Don't suffer at a job that you hate. As long as you're happy doing it, that's what's important. Mm. Okay, now we will get into our time capsule segment to freeze this moment in time for your career and also make some predictions for the future. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so starting with the past, if you could write a letter to yourself 10 years ago, what would you say? Great question. I would probably say something along the lines of be open to both film and TV 
because at the time I was kind of like rigid in terms of, oh, I only want to do movies. Uh, TV would be a step down, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the case. You know, I feel like film and TV, you know, back in the day was a, was much more of a like a separated wall between them, you know, and stepping between one or the other was a little more difficult. But today I feel like that wall's come down significantly. Oh, yeah. And there's TV shows that are just amazing and production value and feel like movies. Look at Game of Thrones and Rings of Power, Mandalorian, these, and not just in terms of budget, but, you know, you've got Barry and Succession and Ted Lasso, these amazing TV shows that would be a thrill to work on. And then there are some indie features that maybe I've worked on that quietly get released and nobody ever sees. So if it's between those, I'm like, well, sign me up for TV. <laughs> you know? So I would have told myself, be open to them both because they're both fantastic opportunities. Would that advice change if you were talking to yourself five years ago? I think at five years ago is when I started to pick up on that. Yeah, I'm like, okay, because that's like around when I was on Chicago Fire and I'm on this TV show. I'm like, well, this is great. I love this job, but I want to do movies. Should I stay here for a while and try to move over? Or is that going to make it more difficult? I would ask a lot of editors I worked with. I'm like, hey. What do you think? And uh, some editors would say, well, eventually you'll need to move over. So I would I would do it sooner than later. I'm like, OK, that's ultimately what I chose to do. I could have stayed on Chicago Fire for another season, but instead I took a job on an indie feature as an assistant editor. And I loved that job. But then after a few years, I started to wonder, should I have stayed at Chicago Fire? Because now here mm. I am like editing you know, doing union editing work, I'm like, well, I wonder if I'd stayed there, uh, then that could have paid off. And yeah, you can obsess over that forever. Mm. But I like to think that because I left when I left and I met so many more people, my network is, is greater. And, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of people over there. So, I mean, I hope I did the right thing, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> OK, getting into some rapid fire questions. What is the best movie you've seen in the last year? Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> Excellent choice. I loved it. <laughs> also, unbearable weight of massive talent with mm. Nick Cage. That was so funny. So good. <laughs> Big Nick Cage fans yeah. over here. What is the best TV show you've seen in the last year? I probably am going to say Barry. I really just love Barry. What editor was cheated out of a major award? And it sounds like for you, this might be a comedy editor. But... Oh, yeah, that's a good question. One that comes to mind is Billy Fox, who edited Dolomite Is My Name with Eddie Murphy. That movie, I watched that on Netflix. and I was like, this is amazing. This needs to be nominated for everything. Not just editing, but acting and, and directing and writing. And it, I don't think it got any nominations. And I was so mad. I'm like, this movie's fantastic. So that's my pick for that one. All right. Shout out to Billy. You are a gem. <laughs> did a great job. <laughs> but I feel in general, comedy editors get overlooked at award shows because there's so much of the comedy that you see. It comes from the editing. What is the latest piece of gear or software that you have loved to play with as an editor? I love, I love playing with Final Cut Pro X, actually, because not many people know it. And I kind of pride myself like, I know it. <laughs> yeah. So I like to be able to say I know it and play around with the bells and whistles that mm. they have in it. What food or drink item are you currently obsessed with? <laughs> Big Cheez-Its. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> I love not it. Upset. Well, not obsessed, but I am eating it a lot. <laughs> Who would be dream collaborators for you? Oh my gosh. I mean, Steven Spielberg is the gold standard, but I would love to work with Tom Cross. He cut Whiplash oh, and yeah. La La Land. Love his work. William Goldenberg. He cut Argo, Imitation Game. So many others. Yeah, those are those are some editors that stand out to me. Mm. What are your current interests or hobbies outside of work? It's kind of funny because most of my hobbies are editing and doing film things. Uh, I need more hobbies, but 
I also enjoy rock climbing. There's a rock climbing gym I go to in Burbank, Vertigo Boulders. I enjoy going hiking. I like that. Uh, it's funny because when I'm not working on movies, I spend most of my time watching movies with my wife. You know, we have our movie nights most nights. <laughs> watching TV shows. Uh, we love watching the Marvel shows and Disney Plus shows that they have. But when I'm not in my living room watching something, I like to get outside, go on a hike, go rock climbing. The occasional jog, I'm not very good at it. I don't really like it that much, but it's good for me, so I do it. <laughs> okay, going on to the future. Five years from now, where do you imagine you'll be living? And I know you only recently moved, so probably mm. going to stay there for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I would hope I'm still at least somewhat around the LA area because I feel like so much of the work is here. Maybe it'll all be remote by then, but maybe not. I really love the Valley, you know, North Hollywood, that area. I also really love Pasadena. My wife and I got married there. We really love that area. That would be a great place to live. Mm. Five years from now, is there anything you hope will have been invented? Hmm. It would be great to have something where I can have my two dogs in my editing office with me when they're not and have them not bark during my Evercast sessions. I don't know what the invention would be. I don't just want to put them in a crate, but some sort of like force field <laughs> to block out their barks. Honestly, I would love that for this podcast. So when you invent that, Matt, please let me know. Or when you find out, putting it out there for anyone listening, if you want to invent this, let me know. The year is 2028. Where is the current season of Pitch Perfect bumper oh, to bumper man. set? What is bumper up to? What is uh, oh, what is everyone up to on the show? That's a great question. I would hope that they've traveled the world at this point and dominated with their musical skills. So maybe it's Bumper in Australia, Bumper in Malaysia, Bumper everywhere. Or maybe we're following other characters, you know, and uh, expanding the roster. That would be amazing. Mm. Um, how many years have you currently been married? A little over five years. So the year is 2028. What is your 10 year anniversary gift for your wife? Here's a pair of socks. No, <laughs> no, yeah, that's a great question. And, and made, I'm gonna, made of gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. gold-plated <laughs> socks. Yeah, yeah. Probably a really good vacation, either to Hawaii or somewhere else that we've really wanted to go to, on top of a really good container of ice cream. <laughs> mm. And and while while you're in Hawaii, you can see the season of, of Pitch Perfect that's going to be filmed yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, Abby, my wife loves snow cones, so I can make some sort of a, a snow cone-related gift. Wait, this is a spoiler. For, I, hope, I hope Abby's not listening and here's what I'm going to give Abby, her. if you hear the snow cone machine idea, just, just, just set that aside I, for the next I will years. take the snow cone shop in Hawaii and have it moved here to LA so we can have it every day. That is definitely the best anniversary present I've heard of so far. Um, well, Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about this. I think you provided so much valuable insight on things people can do, even just from a perspective point of view that can be applied to any discipline. If people want to keep up with you online, where can they find you? If they want to find me on Instagram, my handle is at M-E-Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N 87. Or they could uh, look at my website, Matthew-Jensen.com. Perfect. So make sure to check out those shows that he mentioned on Peacock. Sound of Freedom is currently in theaters. The Pitch Perfect series on Peacock. Many more coming out this fall. And very excited to see how things progress for you. And when we revisit in five years, how these things have paid off when those films are released. And especially how the snow cone shop is going (laughs) next door. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Here is a recap of some takeaways from my conversation with Matthew. One, give people above you the opportunity to connect with you over shared passion by proactively asking questions. This will also demonstrate your ambition. Two, keep your passion evident from the beginning. For many jobs, the interview is not just for someone who can do the work, but for someone who can spend the entire day enjoyably within the department and impress higher ups. Three, 
Gain your supervisor's trust by showing attention to detail and willingness to learn. Taking notes is a good place to start. Four, when you're doing less glamorous work, stay motivated by thinking of it in service of the greater good and your overall goals. Five, any opportunity, even an unpaid internship, has the potential to plant seeds that can grow into excellent jobs, even if sometimes a decade later. Six, even if work is entirely remote, there is a cultural element around movies specific to LA that can benefit you by being here. Seven, if you're starting out, build your network through online groups and in-person mixers and events. Make sure to share what your goals are so people know how to help you and use your spare time to practice your craft. And eight, you can drive yourself crazy second-guessing all of your career choices or comparing yourself to others. Remember, there's no set path and the most important thing is to enjoy what you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Set Path. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate it and share it with a friend, especially if you can think of someone who might benefit from the knowledge that was shared here today. You can keep up with the podcast on all social platforms at No Set Path Show or on the website at www.nosetpathshow.com. Thanks so much for being part of this community and we'll talk to you soon.